0: This is the One Verse Podcast, where we liberate scripture from religion one verse at a time. Welcome to the One Verse Podcast. I'm Jeremy Myers, your teacher for this podcast studying our ways through the book of Jonah we're looking at Jonah chapter 3 verse 3 today I've entitled this podcast Making Assyria Great Again (laughs) if you've been keeping up with politics here in the United States for the last year or so, year or two then uh, you know what that is a reference to let me ask you, what does God think of evil people? what does God think of people who disobey him who are opposed to him and his ways? What we're going to see today from Jonah 3.3 is that God thinks they're great. (laughs) We're going to see that the wicked and violent people of Nineveh are great to God. Uh, Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria, so that's why I titled today's podcast Making Assyria Great Again. Assyria is in uh, present-day Iraq, so maybe I could have titled today's podcast Make Iraq Great Again. (laughs) That's not going to be a political campaign slogan anywhere. Except for maybe possibly in Iraq, but uh, I doubt it. Look, I know it's a challenging thought. Make Iraq great again? (laughs) They're our enemies, aren't they? Don't they want to destroy us? Muslim terrorists over there? Well, back in Jonah's day, God thought they were great. I think that uh, today he thinks they're great as well. If God thinks they're great, who are we to disagree? Anyway, that's what we're going to talk about today as we look at Jonah 3.3. Before we do that, though, I do want to invite you to join my online discipleship group. I'm putting out new courses all the time. I'm almost done with the new course that that is on there, but it's not yet done. The the course is on uh, the doctrine of election in the Bible. If you have questions about election, I invite you to join the discipleship group. Take the class. Uh, Visit redeeminggod.com slash join to see the various options, sign up today. All right, let's turn to our study of Jonah 3 3. So, what we saw last time is the first two verses of Jonah chapter 3 are nearly identical to the first two verses of Jonah chapter 1. And of course, uh, at the, uh, after those two verses in Jonah chapter 1, Jonah disobeyed God and headed off in the opposite direction. Here in Jonah chapter 3, though, we see that Jonah learned his lesson. He obeys God and he heads off toward Nineveh. The verse says, so Jonah got up and walked to Nineveh, according to the word of Yahweh. Now, Nineveh was a great city to God, a three days walk. So uh, we get a different response here, thankfully. And as I indicated in the podcast uh, last time, I believe that if Jonah had once again rebelled and gone off in the opposite direction, we just would have had a repeat of Jonah chapter one and Jonah chapter two. Maybe some of the details would have been different. Maybe there would have been a storm in the, in, uh, I don't know, the desert or something. Who knows what, instead of a storm at sea and the and the fish. I don't know, uh, but, but they just would have been keeping going over here. But thankfully, Jonah has learned, he says, I don't want to do that again. Okay, God, fine. I'll obey you. I'm going to head off towards Nineveh. Now, Uh, Some scholars believe that since Jonah stated his desire in Jonah chapter two, when he was praying in the belly of the fish, since Jonah stated his desire to offer sacrifices to God, that uh, this means that somewhere here at the first part of Jonah chapter three, when it says Jonah got up and walked to Nineveh, some scholars believe Jonah made a little detour, stopped off at Jerusalem uh, before journeying to Nineveh so that Jonah could offer sacrifices to God. In, in, in the temple there. <laughs> I disagree. I believe that such an action would have met with more divine discipline. All right? Jonah did state he wanted to offer sacrifices to God, but remember, uh, the, the, the context indicates that Jonah meant about offering sacrifices to God in heaven. Uh, the thing is is, uh, once again, God didn't want sacrifices from Jonah. What did God want? God wanted Jonah to obey. Remember, 1 Samuel 15, 22, obedience is better than sacrifice. I think that if Jonah had said, okay, God, I'll go to Nineveh, but first I'm going to head off to Jerusalem. I think that would have been another round of discipline uh, hurled out uh, upon Jonah because that's not what God wanted. God didn't want delays, even when they are delays of worshiping God and offering sacrifice. I think sometimes we Christians do that. (laughs) Okay, God, I'll obey you, but first let me... Do my daily devotions and prayers and go to church okay <laughs> sometimes we use the worship of God as a way to delay our obedience to God, so anyway, I think it's best to think that Jonah immediately began his journey toward Nineveh all right so this answers the question about how God or how Jonah responded to God's second request right rather than flee in the opposite direction, Jonah obeys and heads off toward Nineveh okay now uh we, we even though <laughs> It's it's only one verse. This is not a short journey. Okay, Um, even if this fish had vomited Jonah in the most northeastern part of the Mediterranean Sea, you're still looking at about a 500 mile journey. All right, Uh, from the shore of the Mediterranean Sea to the city of Nineveh. So this was a long trek, uh, multiple months that this would have taken him. And along the way, he certainly had a lot of time to think things over. You don't worry about what was going to happen to him when he told his enemies in Assyria that his God was going to destroy them, right? Judge them, whatever. We don't know what the message of, of uh, Jonah is going to be yet. Because uh, God just said, go to Nineveh and declare to it the message I give to you. We don't know what that message is yet. We'll find out in the next verse. Um, so, But on the way is probably when God told Jonah what to say. And I imagine, maybe, hopefully, I don't know, Jonah and God had some conversations along the way. Who knows? Uh, and, uh, but, but maybe Jonah was giving God the silent treatment at this point. Again, we just don't know. There's not any information here. It was a long journey. We don't know what happened along the way. Okay. Anyway, the last half of verse 3, though, contains some more information about the city. The text says it was a great city. Um, it's also very similar to how the text was described in Jonah chapter 1, verse 2. Now, the city was large for its time. I didn't talk much about this uh, back when we were introduced to Nineveh in chapter 1, verse 2. But it was large. It was uh, located on the eastern side of the Tigris River. It's about 600 miles upriver from the Persian Gulf. You could find it on a map today. Uh, It had two walls, sort of an inner wall and an outer wall. All right, so the, the inner wall was about 50 feet wide and 100 feet tall. Uh, And in the days of Jonah, most likely had a circumference of about three miles. Uh, And it was later expanded at a later time after Jonah was there, most likely to a circumference of about eight eight, uh, eight miles. Uh, So that's the inner wall. The outer wall uh, was much shorter, uh, but also much larger. And it it encompassed fields for corn, cattle, uh, even some smaller towns. Uh, So altogether, some estimate that the fields that were there could feed a population of about 600,000 people. But that doesn't mean that that's how many people lived in the town. Uh, Most think the town had around, in the days of Jonah, about 100,000, 120,000 residents. Uh, the, The royal courtyard's pretty impressive as well. 100 acres, a magnificent palace, hanging gardens, rare animals, all sorts of things. Okay, so it was a great city. Uh, verse 3 also says that the city of Nineveh was a three days walk. Now, what does that mean? Uh, some people believe this means it took Jonah three days to walk to Nineveh from where the fish vomited him up, but we've already seen that's impossible. It was 500 miles at least, all right? So there's no way he could have walked to Nineveh in three days. Um, it, it's more possible, therefore, that, that something about this a three days walk describes the size of the city of Nineveh, all right? But, but uh, you know, in the context here, it says it's a great city, about three days' walk. Okay. So what what about the size, though? How are we to understand this phrase? Uh, some people believe that this means that it took three days to walk across the city. If you go from one side to the other, that's three days. All right? But that is a huge city. It's impossibly large for that time period. In fact, a city that size, larger than many of our modern cities. All right? Um... I, I think the average person can walk about maybe 20 miles a day or so. So a three days walk, you're looking at 60 miles across. I don't know what size of town you're living in, but but uh, I mean, that is a huge city, 60 miles in diameter. So uh, Nineveh wasn't that large. So uh, some people say, well, it wasn't the time it took to walk across, but maybe the time it took to walk around the wall of the city, to walk around the city. But even that, again, 60 miles circumference. Okay, I told you that the walls in the days of Jonah were only about uh, three miles, not 60. You know, a three-mile circumference wall, you could walk around that, you know, in an hour. So, so, so that, that doesn't fit with the archaeological facts either. So uh, the, the best option for understanding this phrase, a 3 days walk, uh, the scholars think that what this means is that it would have taken Jonah or any person to uh, three days to walk up and down every street in the city. All right. And, and this is supported by archaeological digs of Nineveh. The city, again, had a circumference of about, you know, three to eight miles, something like that. And so, so the person could, could you could walk across that city in about an hour, you know, walk around it quickly in an afternoon uh, the text says it was a three days walk it would take you know up and go up and down every street about three days to visit every city block every every city street all right and uh, we know that this is this is probably what is meant to because of what it says about Jonah's preaching in verse four but we'll we'll look at that at that next time you know, there's something really interesting about that uh the final thing and this is where I get the podcast episode for today is that um, the city of, it says, the city of Nineveh was a great city to God. Now, if you're looking at some of the, the main Bible translations, you probably won't see that phrase, to God. Uh, King James, New King James, New American Standard, NIV, they, they don't translate it to God. They, they use the word there, which, which is l- Elohim, okay, to God, they say, well, I don't know what this means, and so this must be that they call it, they use it as a superlative, uh, and so they put in there the word very or exceedingly, all right? And there's a couple places in the Bible, two or three, where it is also translated that way, such as Genesis 1-2, uh, the mighty, some some translations there have mighty wind, uh, and uh, Genesis 23-6, mighty prince, okay? Okay. But I think it's just as normal to translate the phrase there as, you know, the, the, the wind of God. Rather than mighty wind in Genesis 1-2, it, it can refer to the wind or the spirit of God. Same in 23-6. Uh, Rather than mighty prince, a prince of God. Okay? So, again, I think the, 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 the phrase l- Elohim makes the most sense everywhere it's used as its most natural translation to God. And I think that fits here as well. Okay, so uh, Jonah 3 3 says that Nineveh was a great city to God. Now, the reason lots of Bible translators don't like that is because, well, what does that mean? Remember, back in chapter 1, Nineveh was described as a, a wicked city, a city full of wicked people. How can a wicked, a city full of wicked people? Uh, be great to God? Well, the answer is that although the city is full of wicked people, that doesn't mean God doesn't care about it. (laughs) In fact, as we're going to see, spoiler alert, that's what the book of Jonah is all about. Well, it's one of the main truths that we're going to learn in the book of Jonah. It's going to become very evident in chapter four. So uh, saying that the city was great to God rather than it's a very great city Look, this is, this is some foreshadowing for the significant truths that we are going to learn in Jonah chapter 4. All right? The people of Nineveh are wicked. Okay? They're, they're described that way in Jonah chapter 1. But guess what? They're great to God. God loves them. God cares about them. They are important to God. Right? God thought the people of Nineveh were great, and he wanted to keep them great, and he wanted to make them even more great. <laughs> That's one of the reasons God sent Jonah to Nineveh. And, and yes, the Syrians were the bitter enemies of Israel. And yes, Israel was God's chosen people. But God thinks the people of Assyria, the wicked people of Nineveh, are great. He thinks highly of them. He loves them. God wants to make Assyria great again. <laughs> now that's a shocking truth in the days of Jonah. Yeah, frankly, it's a shocking truth today to say that God loves and cares and thinks highly of evil and wicked people, right? Like the people of Nineveh. Look, that would have been a challenge. That would have caused an earthquake in the theology of most people in, Israel, in in Jonah's day, most Israelite people in Jonah's day, but it's the same in ours, right? Imagine your pastor gets up, uh, or a pastor gets up in church on Sunday and uh, preaches a sermon about make Iraq great again, or make, um, you know, God, or, or preaches that that God loves Muslim terrorists. You know, God loves uh, murderers and thieves. Imagine how well that message would go over. God loves child molesters and serial rapists. What? How can you say that? If you preached that sort of message in the average church today, um, you know what? I guess most people would probably nod their heads in agreement because what they're thinking is, oh, yes, God loves them, but he hates their sin, right? God loves the sinner, hates the sin. <laughs> that's, that's a very common uh, phrase we, we hear. We might even say it all the time, uh, sometimes ourselves as well. Um, but, but look, if, if you didn't qualify the love of God in such a way and instead said God loves these people, period, right? Or, or maybe you could even say it more bluntly. God loves them regardless of what they have done, are doing, or will do. You know, even even more bluntly. God loves all these people, even if they don't stop sinning, stop doing what they're doing. You know that sort of message is going to ruffle a few more feathers. It's not God loves the sinner, hates the sin. It, it's God loves them. <laughs> Period. No qualifiers. No ifs, ands, or buts. God loves them just the way they are. You know that that message is is very similar to what seems to be, at least so far, God's message to the people of Nineveh here, or at least God is telling Jonah. And this message would have ruffled some feathers in Jonah's day. It ruffled Jonah's feathers. You know, again, we're going to see that going forward. Jonah chapter three, Jonah chapter four. Right now, though, um, let me just close out today's podcast episode with four truths from the fact that Nineveh is called a great city to God. All right. First, uh, the fact that the city is great to God, before Jonah ever went there, Indicates that God loves sinners just as they are. And, and the thing is, is forget for a moment about other people. Think about yourself. You do not need to reform yourself before God will love you. To fix all your sin, get rid of all your rebellious ways. You know, God loves you in your wickedness. Now, I'm not saying God loves your wickedness, okay? Uh, but but He loves you before you repent or before you stop your wickedness. And this is what Paul says in Romans 5.8, right? God loves you while we were yet sinners. We know because Jesus died for us. And and, and God doesn't look forward in time and say, oh, the Ninevites, oh, they're going to repent, right? So I will love them on some future repentance. No, God loves them. He just loves them. He thinks they're great. And, And that leads to the second truth. Um, God loves people just as they are in their sin and wickedness because, really, frankly, there's no other way for God to love. Uh, God's love is unconditional, right? Not only because, I mean, this is how love works, but but really, (laughs) God's love has to be unconditional or he couldn't love any of us, right? There's no other way for God to love. If God says, well, I want to love them, but I just can't. Until they change their ways and fix, you know, start obeying me and stop rebelling. Look, if that's the way love worked with God, he would never be able to love any of us. If God had to wait for us to become righteous before he could love us, he just wouldn't be able to love us. God must love us in our sin or else he cannot love us at all. So uh, thankfully, God's unconditional love for us is in our sin. And uh, that's what leads us out of sin, and that's the third truth. All right, God loves us in our sin, um, but uh, it doesn't leave us in our sin. Uh, Let me put it this way: Uh, God loves us in our wickedness, so that He can reform us, uh, change us. God loves us unconditionally, Uh, and, and what that means is that it then His love leads Him. to jump into our lives, our sinful, rebellious wicked lives jump in here in this mess with us so that he can pull us out. I mean again the only way God could rescue us from our sin is if he dives headlong into our sin with us so that he can rescue us from it from it. If God didn't love us unconditionally, he never would have sought to rescue us from our sin instead would have waited for us, To reform ourselves, right? Before he took any step. Oh, I can't be anywhere near those evil, wicked sinners. They need to change. They need to make a step towards me before I make a step towards them. That's what conditional love says. But God's unconditional love says, you know what? I love them no matter what they do or don't do, say or don't say. I just love them. And I see how hurt they are by this sin. So I'm going to dive into that sin with them. I'm going to dive into that mess they created and see if I can rescue them and love them and forgive them and pull them out of it if I can. That's what we see in Jesus, by the way. Uh, It's also what we see God instruct Jonah to do. Jonah, just go to them and preach a message to them. Of course, Jesus obeyed God completely. Jonah did not. (laughs) We've seen that already, and we'll see that uh, more in in, uh, next week in the next verse, Jonah chapter three, verse four. But Uh, The fourth important truth from the fact that Nineveh is a great city to God um, is to remind ourselves that Jonah was a great prophet to God. Remember, we looked at that very early on. Jonah was a a popular and prominent prophet in the nation of Israel in his day. Jonah's a a great prophet to God. (laughs) Yet Jonah seems to think that God's love and grace is only for him and for his people, not for anybody else. It doesn't extend to the wicked city of Nineveh right? But what have we seen in the text so far, in Jonah chapter 1 and Jonah chapter 2? Well, we've seen that the greatest sinner in the text is Jonah himself. You know, it can be easily argued that his rebellion against God is far greater than anything the people of Nineveh have done. Why? Because as a prophet, a great prophet, Jonah knew God's instructions, knew God's word, knew God's desires and decrees, and yet he willingly, blatantly rebelled against God. All right, and so Jonah should be glad that God loves people in their evil rebellion, for this is the only reason God loves Jonah and rescued Jonah and is talking to Jonah. And wants to walk with Jonah and work with Jonah. Rescue Jonah from drowning in the storm and digestion in the fish. Uh, Jonah himself had sinned greatly against God. Right? While the people of Nineveh, as we're going to see in future verses, while they repent of their sin, Jonah still hasn't repented. Uh, Jonah's the worst sinner in the text. And so Jonah, as should we all, should be grateful that God unconditionally loves sinners just as they are and thinks they're great Because otherwise God could not love any of us, could not love Jonah. Look, all people are great to God. You are great to God. Your friends and family are great to God. Even your enemies are great to God. That's one reason, by the way, Jesus tells us to love our enemies. All right? Uh, How and why? Well, (laughs) once we understand that, oh, guess what? We too were God's enemies and he loves us. That sort of opens our eyes and our understanding to recognize that we, too, can love our enemies just the way God loves us. Sadly, though, lots of us are like Jonah. And uh, we only love our enemies with dragging feet, minimal involvement, right? Half-hearted invitations, lots of condemnation. We'll be talking about all of that in the next time as we look at Jonah 3.4, though. So, anyway, look, uh, Jonah 3.3, just as we come to the end of today's time. It shows us what God thinks of other people, especially the people that we love to hate. Uh, The people that we think are God's enemies are actually the people that God loves. God doesn't just love them. He thinks they're great. Hmm. If that idea is a little difficult to grasp, uh, it might be because you don't yet understand the grace of God. God is gracious to us even though we don't deserve it. And if he can be gracious to us, even though we don't deserve it, then he can also be gracious to our enemies. No, they don't deserve it either. But guess what? That's grace. That's the greatness of grace. In fact, the infinite love and grace of God prohibits him from hating other people. Even if we hate him, God, I hate them. Why can't you hate them? Because of grace, because of love. That's one of the truths of grace. And Look, if you want to be if you want to be taught more about this, learn more about this view of grace, God's infinite grace of God for you and for other people. I do talk a lot about it in my online courses, especially my course, The Gospel According to Scripture. I teach there about God's grace, how it's so amazing, it extends not only to you and me, but also to our enemies. Um, and we talk about these things in the discipleship group. So, look, if you want to join, you can learn more and sign up by visiting redeeminggod.com/slash/join. There is a free, uh, what I call the grace level, because grace is free, um, but it doesn't have access to all the courses. To get access to all the courses, uh, you have to join one of the three paid levels, Faith, Hope, or Love. That's just to help cover my costs and expenses of running the online courses and all of that. So uh, thank you for supporting me in that way. So, But anyway, by joining any of the levels, you do get access to the private Facebook group, email programs, and other things like that. So uh, we discuss theology questions and issues that people are facing and maybe even some of the things that we talked about today in our study of Jonah 3.3. So um, join us there. I I really appreciate it and the other members of the group would too to get your input, get your questions, help you along the way if possible, teach you some things about grace and have you teach us some things about grace as well. We're going to learn a lot more difficult issues next time as we look at Jonah 3.4. In (laughs) fact, in fact, Jonah 3-4 has some quite shocking things, which uh, I can't I, I can't wait to, to show show you and share with you. It's going to challenge you and me and our evangelism efforts. Anyway, I'll see you then. Thank you for joining me today as we look at Jonah 3-3, talked a little bit about grace and God's love. God thinks you are great. And God thinks your enemies are great too, whoever they might be. All right, see you then next week as we look at Jonah 3-4.